the first section of the wasteland is called the burial of the dead, um, which means it's based on the Anglican burial service. The first line of the poem is, April is the cruelest month. Eliot cut out a page and a half of verse before setting on this line as the poem's beginning. So I will start with the text of the wasteland and add commentary as is needed. Again, the first line, April is the cruelest month, which is exactly what I was talking about when Eliot writes and has an ironic twist to what he writes. Why is April the cruelest month? April is a time of revivification, rejuvenation, spring, Easter, the resurrection. Again, an ironic twist. And then he goes on to say, breeding lilacs out of the dead land. And there might be a sense of nature's cruelty, breeding flowers out of lifeless matter, mixing memory and desire, past and future. Perhaps memory is the soil, and desire is the flower. And then dull roots with spring rain. So we have the first mention of rain in the wasteland. I don't think it's an important one. We'll see more epiphanies greater than this. But it's good to note that this is the first time he mentions rain. And then we have the winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Here we have the image of a hibernating bear and the cruelty of the bear having to come to consciousness over his long slumber. And feeding a little life with dried tubers, how in winter there's such a scant amount of food, even for the birds themselves. And then Elliot shifts. He started off with the spring, then he did the winter. Now he's talking about summer. He says, summer surprised us coming over the Stan Garber Sea with a shower of rain. The Starnberger Sea is a lake near uh, Munich. And they mentioned the Hoth Garden, which is a park in Munich. And then there's an enigmatic line in um, German that I'm not going to try to read the, the uh, actual German. I'll read the translation. What it says is a woman speaks and she says, I am not Russian, I am a Lithuanian a true German. We have to remember that The Wasteland was published in 1922, a full 10 years before Hitler's rise to power. At the conference at the end of World War I, the Versailles Conference, many Germans felt that they had been given a bad deal. So there were always talk of the fatherland, and here I think indicates the possibility of some sense of Aryan purity when she says, I'm, I am not Russian, I am Lithuanian, I true German. Then we go on, and when we were children, this is a, a different focus now, when we were children staying at the Archduke's, my cousins, he took me out on a sled and I was frightened. He said, Marie, Marie, hold on tight, and down we went. In the mountains, there you feel free. So you have this exhilarating out-of-the-body sensation of uh, sliding down the mountain in a sled with the uh, archduke uh, who is related to the children, and their cousin is the one that's taking them sledding. And Marie is frightened, and I was frightened, is Marie's voice. And he answers, Marie, Marie, hold on tight. 
and then more objectively, and down we went. And here's the key line, I think, which is one of the first real epiphanies in the wasteland. In the mountains, there you feel free. And down we went. In the mountains, there you feel free. And then Eliot, uh, again, has an ironic twist to it. The, line, the next line is spoken by a jaded middle-aged woman who's an insomniac. She says, I read much of the night and go south in the winter. So she heads south, away from the mountains and the freedom. So we're going to segue into the next section. The next section is an example of the aridity and desolation of the wasteland, which will be revisited in section five, what the thunder said. The line is, what are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? And then there's the enigmatic son of man. Son of man. This is the Jewish appellation for the coming Messiah. But also the son of man can be understood as being a sense of a fertility god that is slain or dies in the fall and is resurrecting in the spring to bring to this community and land a sense of fertility by his sacrifice. The Son of Man, in this sense, what Isaiah says, he says that the Savior will bring rivers over the parched land. So you see it's involved intimately with the idea of the rain in the wasteland, which is the crux of the wasteland. When does it rain? Does it rain? But uh, the Son of Man could also be a highly spiritualized person, such as Isaiah or Jeremiah, or in this particular case, Ezekiel. So uh, Eliot makes the allusion to Ezekiel being in the Valley of the Bones, and the Lord God said, O son of man, do those bones livest? And Ezekiel answers, Lord, thou knowest. And we'll see some images of bones later on in the wasteland. Then to go on now, O son of man, you cannot say or guess, for you know only a heap of broken images. A very important line. The broken images, a heap of broken images, reminds me of the pagan carns that the early Christian missionaries destroyed. But also it's a, it's a real encapsulization of the wasteland itself, being a heap of broken images, of which we've already addressed. And then we have some allusions to ecclesiastes, which again reinforces the aridity of the wasteland. Where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief, and so important, and the dry zone no sound of water. And then it segues into, there's a shadow under the red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock. Some critics believe that the red rock is a symbol of the Sangreal, the Holy Grail, that plays such an important part in the wasteland. I myself am rather dubious of this. But he does say, and I will show you something different from either your shadow at morning striding behind you or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. So the sun is behind the protagonist, or the character, and his shadow is of evening is arising before him. But the interesting line is, 
I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Which reminds one very vividly of, of the Sybil, uh, counting the drops of sand through the hourglass as she becomes tinier and tinier and tinier. Also, it's a wonderful reference to man's mortality. From dust we come and dust we will return. The next four lines are from Gottfried von Strasberg's version of the Tristan and Isolde legend. He was the greatest of the Tristan poets. The legend of Tristan and Isolde is Cornwall, the king of England, his most trusted lieutenant, Tristan, he sent to retrieve his bride from Ireland, Isolde. It was an arranged marriage. She didn't love Cornwall. And while they're on the boat returning to England, where Wagner's opera opens up, Tristan and Isolde are given Brongrain, by mistake, Brongrain's the nurse to Isolde. She gives them the love potion that was reserved for Isolde's wedding night. And they fall hopelessly in love with one another, the potion being um, representative of transcendental romantic love that the 12th century troubadours spoke of, uh, sang of so beautifully. So anyway, what happens is um, Tristaron says, if I must go home to Cornwall and be cut to pieces for my love of you, I accept that. If I must go to hell for my love of you, I accept that. And you have to remember that hell was much more of a, than a metaphysical reality in the Middle Ages. So the translation, what is exactly the translation from the German? It's the wind comes from the homeland. My Irish lass, where do you linger? It's spoken by a young sailor on the same ship that's taking Esau to England. And he's pining away for his, uh, his lover uh, that's still in Ireland. Now we shift into something extremely important. I think there are three major transformations in the wasteland. This first one has to do with hyacinths. The quote is, you gave me hyacinths first a year ago. They called me the hyacinth girl. The tragic transformation is the story of hyacinth, who was a beloved of Apollo. And one day they went out to play with the discus. And Apollo threw the discus and... Hyacinth bounded after it like a loving puppy and it took a bad bounce and hit him in the chest and he died. And Apollo was crestfallen. So basically he took a daub of Hyacinth's blood and created the Hyacinth and inscribed it with the Greek cry of sorrow, A-I. So anyway, that's the third, first major transformation in the wasteland. And then we have probably one of maybe even the most important uh, epiphany in, in the wasteland, certainly one of the major ones. It's where two lovers come together in the garden and how they experience each other through their own physical senses. And I'll read this. Yet when we came back late from the hyacinth garden, your arms full and your hair wet, I could not speak and my eyes failed. I was neither living nor dead. I knew nothing, looking into the heart of the light, the silence. So above this is the sacrifice, the transformation of Hyacinth over the bower that they're standing. And uh, he's totally enraptured. In fact, he has a, a kind of epiphany himself, a real epiphany, 
a transcendence would have called through the senses, as Eliot would describe later in the quartets, it is only through time that time is conquered. So he is so enraptured. He says, I could not speak and my eyes failed me at seeing this woman in front of him, this lover of his. He says, I was neither living nor dead. He says he, he's so uh, transcendent that he doesn't even know if he's living or dead. And he, he declares, I knew nothing, looking into the heart of the light, the silence. Of course, the heart of light can be contrasted with Conrad's heart of darkness. And what is the silence? The silence is for the duality of subject and object, prior to that, to the knower, to the known. And finally, again, we have an ironic twist. After this beautiful, beautiful epiphany of the two young lovers and their relationship, their mystical relationship with one another, we have a quote from uh, the text again, uh, Tristan and Isolt. Tristan himself has been mortally wounded and he's waiting for Isolt to come and heal him. So he stations a young shepherd to watch for her ship. And after a while, he turns to Tristan and says, Oh, empty and desolate is the sea. The next section of the burial of the dead is centered around a person called Madame Sesostris. The lines are Madame Sesostris, famous clairvoyant, had a bad cold, an interesting interjection by Eliot, then nevertheless is known to be the wisest woman in Europe with a wicked pack of cards. So the pack of cards is the tarot cards. Now, Sesostris is an Egyptian name, so it's aligned with Isis, the goddess of the Nile and the goddess of magic. But also, I think it's a veiled reference to Madame Blavatsky at the turn of the century mystic who um, wrote uh, Isis Unveiled, which is one of the most pivotal texts in occult uh, reading, tries to bring together uh, Darwinian evolution and mysticism. It's interesting to note that uh, Yeats, a very young Yeats and Maud Gahn went to London just to listen to her, and they both were enraptured, particularly Yeats was struck by her personality and her presence. So, as I said, known to be the wisest woman in Europe with a wicked pack of cards. So, some people have said, and I don't know if this is correct, that the wasteland is really someone coming to have a tarot reading having the reading and the rest of the poem the enactment of that reading. Well, certainly here that's the case. So, let us begin with the tarot reading by Madame Sesostris. Here, she said, is your card, the drowned Phoenician sailor. So this is the reader's card, the card that the reader is the drowned Phoenician sailor. And we'll see how that plays out in section four with Death by Water. And then we have the second transformation, major transformation in the, um, the wasteland. Those are the pearls that were his eyes looked. It's a reference to the tempest, where Ferdinand, the prince of Naples, is grieving for his father who he thinks is drowned. And Ariel, Prospero's sprite, sings to him, full fathoms five, thy father lies. Look, there are the pearls that were his eyes. He has suffered a sea change, rich and strange. 
So those last lines, he had suffered a sea change, rich and strange. So as I said, this I think is the second real transformation in the wasteland. And then the next card, here is Belladonna, the lady of the rocks, the lady of situations. Belladonna can either be a young girl or it can be a poison of some sort. The lady of the rocks, the lady of situations, makes me think of the sirens and Odysseus, how the sirens induce the, the sailor to crash on their shore. But it's also a, a bleak reference to da Vinci's Madonna of the rocks. And then here is the man with three staves and here the wheel. So the man with three staves in one of Eliot's notes indicates that he associates the Fisher King with this actual tarot card. He says rather arbitrarily, but I think you will see that it's not. And here the wheel, the wheel of birth and death, the Buddhist birth and death. And here is the one-eyed merchant. And this card, which is blank, is something he carries on his back, which I am forbidden to see. So he's the one-eyed merchant, one-eyed because he's in profile, because of uh, being a tarot card. And this card, which is blank, is something he carries on his back, which I am forbidden to see. And I've read absolutely no criticism whatsoever that speculates what's on his back that Madame Sosostris can't see, outside of his card being blank. Might have something to do with the next two lines, which are pivotal in our understanding of the wasteland. She says, I do not find the hanged man for death by water. So the hanged man, in Eliot's notes, can be associated with Fraser's The Golden Bough, where the king or surrogate king is sacrificed for the fertility of the community and the land. It can also be, in section five, he talks about the hooded figure and the disciples on their journey to Emmaus. We'll look at that later. But I do not find the hanged man. The hanged man, the finding of the hanged man is one of the preconditions for the coming of the rain to the wasteland. The hanged man could be anyone from Osiris, as, as we'll see in section five, his actual incarnation will be the historical Jesus. But anyway, she does not find the hanged man. We will have to find that in order for there to be rain. And she says, fear death by water. We'll see how that plays out in the fourth section, which is called Death by Water. And then finally, she says, I see crowds of people walking round in a ring. Kind of almost sounds zombie-like in a way, I don't know. And then she goes on to caution that besides tarot readings, Madame Sassastris does horoscopes. And she talks about Mrs. Equitone's horoscope. The next and final section of the Burial of the Dead begins with Unreal City, under the brown fog of a winter dawn, a crowd flowed over London Bridge. Unreal City is a reference to a poem by Baudelaire and his famous Fleur de Mal. And it's a reference to his poem, Seven Old Men. And that begins with, O city swarming of dreams, where a specter can jostle a passerby in broad daylight. So it's under the brown fog of a winter dawn. You have all these people that are going to work. I imagine and some of the people are specters also. So the crowd flowed over London Bridge, so many. I had not thought death had undone so many. 
And here you have a reference to the Divine Comedy, The Inferno, by Dante, where his back is against the inferno, and he's looking into limbo, and he sees the souls in limbo who have not had praise or blame and did not know the uh, faith. And then we follow with sighs, short and infrequent, were exhaled, which, of course, on one level is talking about the crowd flowing over the London Bridge and the individuals that are exhaling, uh, whether it's short or, or infrequent or whatever. But uh, that's a reference again to the Inferno, where Dante is looking into the, uh, into the limbo again. And he sees those ones that uh, give size short and infrequent are those virtuous heathen who were born before Christ was born. And then it delineates, and each man fixed his eyes before his feet, uh, which again is a kind of almost zombie-like uh, attitude. Um, you have to remember the crowd filled over London Bridge. A lot of these people have done this many, many times. So basically, possibly all they can do is fix their eyes before their feet. And then I'm going to skip down to there I saw one I knew and stopped him crying, Stenson. And Stenson, I think, is Eliot's kind of use for every man. You who were with me in the ships of Melee, that's his address to Stenson. Melee was a battle in the Punic Wars between Rome and its major rival, Carthage. And here I think Eliot is trying to point out the pointlessness of that war as well as the pointlessness of all war, including the one that had just concluded. And then we have an interesting section. I'll read the section first and then comment on it. That corpse you planted last year in your garden has begun to sprout. Will it bloom this year? Or has a sudden frost disturbed its bed? Oh, keep the dog far hence that's friend to man, or with his nails he'll dig it up again. So this is a reference to John Webster's 1612 play, White Devil. It's a play where a mother is forced to witness one of her sons murdering her other son and burying that son in the garden without a casket whatsoever, just in the garden. And her dirge that she sings is, Oh, keep the wolf for hence that's foe to man, or with his nails, he'll dig it up again. Will it begin to sprout, will it bloom this year, or has a sudden frost disturbed its bed? And can anything grow on such an holy ground? I think the sudden frost will disturb its bed. I don't think it will sprout or bloom. It has the mark of Cain upon it. But this is important. She, uh, Elliot changes. Will keep the dog far hence as friend to men, with his nails, he'll dig it up again. The dog could possibly be a, a reference to the uh, dog star, which uh, emerges in about the time the flooding of uh, the uh, Nile to fertilize the land in Egypt. Could also be Anubis, the kind of the dog-faced little god that helped Isis retrieve the various parts of Osiris that. Uh, his main rival, Seth, had torn him into. But here is my interpretation. 
Oh, keep the dog far hence, that's friend to men. So you have just what I think is a basic dog. That's friend to men. Now here I think Eliot's being ironic. Because what does the dog do? Or oh, with his nails, he'll dig it up again. So in the end of this section, you have a terrible parody of the burial of the dead, the Anglican burial service. The burial of the dead is a result of a murder of a brother to a brother who's buried without a casket, just in the garden itself. And what is the resurrection? Simply a dog using his nails to dig it up again. Again, a profound sense of parody and irony that's indescribably good. And finally, the final line of this section. You, hypocrite lector, mon sababla, mon frere, which is uh, the first line to the intro uh, to the Fleur de Mal by uh, Baudelaire. It's uh, called uh, the lector, the reader. And here, Eliot pulls the reader himself right into the poem. He says, you, hypocrite reader, hypocrite lector, mon sablable, my twin, mon frere, my brother. So I think the frere also indicates that we are, in a sense, complicit with the murder of the brother of another brother. And with that, I will conclude this section of The Wasteland. And we'll start again with looking at the second section, The Game of Chess. Thank you.